Cheers to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Ben, I'm trying to marshal all of the energy I can because I know (laughs) we're both a little under the weather. Yeah, well, this is weird because... I just saw you face to face yesterday, and now you're back in Seattle. I'm stuck down here in LA. Mistakes were made. And we could have recorded together yesterday, or you could have just stayed over a day and we could have recorded in person. No, but, I wasn't uh, going to do that. Boy, yeah, we 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 did a lot of dumb shit yesterday. Yeah, I was down there on, on one of, I'm sure, it's going to be the first of 50 visits to Los Angeles to look for a place where my wife and I can live, and you, you really stepped up in the friend zone, Ben. <laughs> I know there's no chance yeah. of a relationship between us, so I, so when you're friend zoned by Ben, it means being driven around by Ben uh, to see places that you might want to live. Listen, I know you want to you want a little bit more than just than just being driven around by me all day, <laughs> but that's not where I'm prepared to go with you, Adam. Yeah, so what I thought was going to be a visit to see a number of places ended up being a visit to see one and then and then get day drunk on a patio right after, yeah. which is what we did. We had a couple of restaurant options that we were exploring the idea of going to, because part of the idea was like get a sense of the Los Angeles neighborhoods that you and your wife are considering. Right. And see, you know, see whether or not one or another feels like uh, like the best option to you. So we went to a restaurant that was like weirdly desolate in the middle of the day, despite being by a sort of buzz, like it's, it's a restaurant with a, a buzzy chef in charge of it. But yeah, the lunch service, like I walked in and like there were literally, literally no people apparently working at the restaurant. Like, yeah, like it was, was a bad sign. Nobody behind the bar, nobody at the hostess stand, no servers walking around, no bussers, no nothing. And so I just uh, took a flyer and went and seated myself at one of the zillion empty tables. And uh, our our server was very nice. She when she saw that uh, that she had a new customer, she uh, apologized profusely for not having been around when I first came in, and then. Uh, brought over menus. Yeah, that should have been the red flag that deterred us from eating there. Uh, but there was a green flag in the form of bottomless rum punch. Yeah. And that, I think, really really made us feel differently about the restaurant at that point. So we we had one of those lunches that you and I occasionally have where we we just feast on appetizers and a bunch of cocktails. Yeah. And, uh, and the... Uh, the red flags multiplied at this point because we ordered, I think, six different things, and yeah. they came out almost immediately, and all of them about room temperature. Yeah, like we we ordered buffalo wings and nachos and calamari and fish and chips, and none of it seemed hot. Yeah, uh, that did not prevent the grind because uh, I know both of us went to town pretty hard yeah, on these I, apps. I don't know if this happens to you, but I... I kind of have like the great white shark thing of like my eyes roll over white and I just eat until I'm 
I can't eat anymore when I get to a when I when I'm in an, in a situation like that. Uh-huh. And then I think back and I'm like, oh, I made poor choices, but I'm never able to like in the moment go like, huh. The fact that the nacho, this huge plate of nachos, the size of a fucking hubcap, is not hot, and yet we just ordered it like three minutes ago, is extremely suspicious. Yeah, we should have hit the brakes on this thing right then and there. But you and I were in a were in a festive spirit. We decided to call it the Uxbridge Shimoda Holiday Party. Right, which uh, uh, which we'll date just, this episode, but, but yeah. that's that's when this happened. Yeah. And so uh, we decided to lean into the drinks, and then we quickly realized that uh, we were 90 minutes away from the airport, Yeah, given the traffic, and so we, uh, we safely, responsibly got on the road and, uh, and went to the airport after this. And yeah, I, I had knocked it off with the, with the bottomless punches uh, uh, right. quite a bit ahead of realizing this, but like we were kind of luxuriating in our afternoon, and I was like... Oh, just on an off chance, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll see what the, uh, what the map says is going to be travel time to get you back to the airport. And we're, we're like, oh shit, we got to go right now. I think any drive long enough to necessitate a stop to pee qualifies as a road trip. Yeah. And yeah. that's what it was when you, when you drive from the West side to Burbank, uh, that was a road trip, Ben. Yeah. Nearly all afternoon was spent in the car. Yeah. And uh, very little highway time. Like we yeah. we spent like a, a very small amount of the end of the trip on a highway, but mostly it was surface streets across town because uh, so many of Los Angeles's drivers had uh, managed to pilot their cars into each other that day. And the, the, the highways were all tied up. Since deciding to move to Los Angeles, uh, I visited... LA several times and each time I'm I'm treating it as like a simulator right like this is what it's like to live here this is what it's like to drive here and that was a real eye opener <laughs> yeah the company was very pleasant but uh but yeah that was that was a long drive and long enough that like I mean I would have guessed eating food that was bad I would have started to feel it in the car but I really didn't I got home I took the dog for a walk. I took the dog for like a 45-minute walk. I uh, decided I was I was too tuckered out to cook, so I ordered a pizza for me and my wife to eat. And then I plopped myself down on the couch and started watching an episode of The Expanse. And like over the course of like half, it, it was like the last half of an episode that I was finishing up. And over the course of that like 20 minutes, I went from feeling tired but fine to like, Oh boy, I'm not going to eat dinner. I feel totally disgusting. Whoa. Yeah, this was something that alarmed me on the plane because I got a text from you that was like, hey, bud, uh, you feeling okay? And I was like, <laughs> in my mind, I was like, never. No. I'm like, you'll have to be more specific. <laughs> and you had mentioned that you thought the food had made you sick. And this was alarming to me because once I get it in my head that there is a possibility of this, like this happened before to me where like yeah. I will have gone out to a meal with someone, the other person is sick and they're like, Hey bud, how are you feeling? Yeah. I feel like you can I feel like you can the secret this and make <laughs> yourself sick by dwelling on it. And I was on an airplane and I was like, Oh God, I need to stop thinking about how my stomach is feeling. Yeah. Because I thought that I would make it happen. Well, I feel like you're also your baseline with your with your GI is already so 
has already so much uh, strife that. Yeah, but no one's shitting in a barf bag. Yeah, I. Uh, there are rules. I barfed, man. I, I'm going to tell you. I, I uh, at, at a certain point, my wife got home. She was tucking into that pizza, and I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't be in the same room as it. And did uh, she, uh, did she push open the bathroom door, and she was like, "Get it, player." <laughs> <laughs> oh shit that reminds me of a story i gotta tell you yeah you gotta <laughs> you gotta oh tell me god. what that means <laughs> so over the god this we're gonna date the episode again because last weekend uh i have i have an annual dinner hang with my closest friends where we go out for uh for a nice oh, oh your closest friends hmm my uh my I, invitation must have gotten lost in the mail i should say my closest local friend <laughs> We try to find a uh, a dark restaurant with a booth where we have a big meal, uh, a big meal of meat and a baked potato and a couple of martinis, like that kind of dinner. Yeah. And then uh, and then we spend the rest of the night going out and catching up and having a good time. And uh, this is what we did last weekend. And uh, this is your uh, our, your annual reindeer run, I believe. I've, yeah. I've heard you call it. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's an occasion I look forward to every year. Yeah. Uh, because there's always a story that happens, and yeah. this time uh, was no did you, different. Did you get the reindeer runs? <laughs> oh, I've had the reindeer runs all day today, because that's how my Pico patio meal manifests itself <laughs> in my body. So it's like the third stop on this reindeer run. Like, it's well after dinner, and it's closer to midnight. It's it's definitely like the drunk hour at mm. around midnight, and... Uh, and it's time to it's time to hit the bathroom. So I'm in there, and it's one of those. It's like a. It's not a. It's a. It's one of those bathrooms with one urinal and one bathroom stall and one sink. So there's no lock on the door. You just go in and use what's open, and if if nothing's open, you're queued up. Yeah, men's rooms are a real horror show. So I'm. So I walk in, and it looks empty. So I walk up to the urinal, and I begin my business. And because I'm drunk, it is a long bit of business. I'm in there. And I can hear a guy make himself known in the stall uh, through the violent sounds of his vomit. Like, <laughs> like it was it was quiet momentarily. You know, lots of times you'll go into a public restroom and like you'll get the courtesy cough from the stall that that sort of announces, "Hey, you're not in here alone." Right. Uh, try to keep it down with your business. Like that's that's sort of what I. What I, I experienced. I love that. That's like that's like the most humane thing you can do. It's just it's- this guy was giving me courtesy vomit, <laughs> and he was in there really going to town on this toilet. And so I'm in there, and I'm like, I can't. I would love to leave, but I'm like in mid pee, and and a drunk pee is lasting a long time. So yeah. I'm in there doing the thing. The door opens behind me, and keep in mind, all of this is unseen. I'm looking at the tile wall and just <laughs> hearing. Behind me, I hear step, 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 and then the sound of the stall door opening, and I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, oh no, the guy didn't lock the stall? (laughs) I hear a guy open the stall door, and he's like, whoa, get it, player. (laughs) (laughs) And I can't hold back. I am (laughs) laughing so hard so hard at this moment get it player get it player 
And uh, <laughs> I finish up. I don't make eye contact with the, with Get It Player guy. I walk up to the, the sink. I wash my hands and I walk out. And I am just dying about Get It Player. So I go out to my friends and like it's a, it's a booth situated where like you can see who's coming out the bathroom and when. A moment later, guy wearing a sequined red <laughs> suit walks out. <laughs> this is the barfer. This is the player. The, the player is in the sequin. Wow. And in one unbroken motion, his name is called at karaoke. I, I failed to mention <laughs> that this is a karaoke bar. He walks right up to the mic <laughs> and sings terribly. He gets the gavel song of the night. Last song of the night, closing time, was him. Wow. He ended the night going from toilet to mic. Did he and then that was do Outcast Players Ball? As his as his song, I will tell you that his rendition of the song that I can't remember was so awful that he was close to getting booed off the stage. Wow. Like it was, it was like scream slur singing. It was just really bad. That's like that's props a bad to him for karaoke runner though. Like I wanted him to dominate. I was rooting for him. Most karaoke bars have a couple of ringers that they bring yeah. in to to set a a level. And this is the person you want to close with. Like, like you either close with that person or you pick somebody that's that's really hitting dingers among the civilians and ask them to close it, right? Look, man, I think you know me. I think you know I do my best not to judge people for how they look. I try to walk a mile in another person's shoes mm-hmm. before coming to any sort of judgment about or, the guy. But you see a, a man- sequin suit. <laughs> you see a man in a red sequin suit, and I think the safe assumption is- Probably pretty good at karaoke. Yeah. This guy died out there, Ben. Wow. Maybe his vocal cords were fried by all the bile that had run across them moments before. That I think that, that totally checks out. I think he shredded his cords on that bathroom floor and was unable to, uh, to get it at the microphone. Yeah. yeah. And so that was that. That player got it elsewhere. Anyway... Uh, forevermore, get it player is going to be <laughs> a thing I want to say in in moments where other people are vomiting. Yeah, yeah, wow. Or wow. metaphorically vomiting. I was that player last night, and uh, I'm sorry to hear that your butt was that player today. <laughs> yeah, it's been a tough day uh, all around, but really happy to have had an impromptu visit with you for a day. That was fun. Yeah, that was super fun. And uh, looking forward to that being a little bit more of a regular thing. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Hopefully it won't mean our show and our friendship goes down in a blaze of glory. Oh, snap. I may be butt sick, Ben, but uh, I'm still well enough to dispense with a world-class pivot to show i'm a professional <laughs> yeah you really are uh do you want to do you want to hit it do you want to get into today's episode season five episode 23 blaze of glory ben it's only the second star trek episode ever to be named after a bon jovi song <laughs> of course the first was uh, the butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry oh, that was yeah. uh, that was a b-side off of slippery when wet mm. <laughs> Never really went anywhere. Mm. I think I think the title did itself an injustice there. Yeah, the the uh, the music directors at radio stations just weren't into into that one. Yeah. Oh! Do you 
realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. Speaking of calamari, Adam. Oh, yeah. This episode opens with Rom shoving some dubious calamari in his mouth and announcing that squid is his favorite human food. Mmm, delicious, sir. I think this is a perfect food for a Ferengi to like. It makes me re-evaluate all of the other foods we've heard about them eating because calamari is one of my favorite human foods as well. Yeah. I love calamari. It's good. I love it fried. I love it sauteed. I love it in pasta. It's delicious. It's a guilty food for me. So I've, maybe- As I've maybe stated th- before, I, I, I think cephalopods are aliens- and I think they deserve our respect. Poor bastards rain down on us from another dimension, probably just as confused as we are. Maybe all that shit that, that the Ferengis are always eating, the like, you know, beetles and the snail juice and stuff, maybe that's all delicious. Yeah, maybe we'd like that. We don't I'm know sure how. you'd like that. The stuff on Ferenginar is probably great. They're, yeah. The, the Ferengis are bon vivants. They want to be rich and have, like, nice shit, you know? Fucking Jake does a spit take. With his pasta, with his calamari dinner, because yeah. the sauce is a slurry of tube grubs. That's a bad look, Jake. You know he was a racist. Like, it's fine to have, it's fine to be a picky eater, but if you've already tasted it and liked it, get over your shit. There's also a 0% chance that he's never had tube grubs before, right? Because with your when you're best friends with a person, and that person has a favorite food, that is something like tube grubs. You have to have tried it, right? If you liked something that I had never had before, I'd have to try that. You'd give it a try. You'd 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 come to it with an open mind. Right, right. But but Jake here is going to the napkin with this bite, and uh, and pushes his plate away. I thought it was interesting that Ben Cisco prepared such a beige plate for these kids. Yeah, like uh, yeah, that seems unlike him. It's a. Uh, well, this guy, this guy is steeped in the in the cuisine of the Creoles, and he's and he's and he's making a beige plate. When you talk about it, it, just makes the juices run in my mouth. I mean, it's just exciting to eat. I don't see it. I think I think he would have more more colorful ingredients on that plate. I don't want to come down too hard on Jake as the only Cisco not eating well here. I, I I'm not seeing Captain Cisco raise a fork up to his mouth very often in this scene, do you? No, but he's 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 a chef, man. He probably tasted it all the way through. I just wonder if this is dare food. And this is a <laughs> bit that he's doing, you know? Is this the time in the late nineties when reality TV really exploded and like Fear Factor became a thing? <laughs> yeah. Maggoty fried chicken and worm potato salad. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe that's what's going on. Captain Cisco's favorite podcaster is Joe Rogan. Yeah, yeah, he, he fucking loves that shit. <laughs> Pretty interesting B story first here, right? Yeah, uh, Nog is uh, is there, you know, partly as Jake's pal, but partly as the as the cadet on the station, and it's one of those like he he does a great job of playing it off like this is not something that he wants to bring up to the captain, but really it's it's clearly an issue that is weighing heavily on him. He's uh, rotating through working with the security team on the station and uh, has had a few encounters with Klingons that leads him to believe that they are rude dudes with bad toots. (laughs) I really like the 
feeling of a professional relationship and a social relationship playing out at the same table. This is hard stuff for Nog because he's wearing the uniform. The captain has invited him to dinner, but he's got a social relationship with Jake and he's trying to juggle those two things. Like, I don't think it's any accident that he's sitting between Jake and Ben Sisko at the table. Like yeah. he's being he's being pulled in both directions like that. It's very interesting, sir. This is another Kim Friedman episode, and I think that that's super intentional. And yeah. it also really reminded me of that scene a couple episodes where he was stuck between Worf and Martok. And Yeah. And and that is clearly like what is being referenced here, this idea that he is sort of invisible to the Klingons in a in a certain way. And that's you know, you you can't uh, perform a police action on somebody that doesn't acknowledge your presence. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. I mean, I mean, is that how I should try to get out of a ticket? Just <laughs> like hands on the wheel, looking straight ahead, just ignoring an officer screaming through my window. Uh, yeah, I think that's that'd the work way out to do great it. for me, right? Yeah, just uh, just roll up the window on your cyber truck. Yeah, it's unbreakable, Adam. <laughs> Nog is describing Klingons like a high schooler talking about the varsity football team, right? Yeah. Like there, there is a there's a caste system on the station where the Klingons are the rough and tumble, scary guys, and to Nog, that's really difficult. He's in a position of authority, but he has no authority if it's not recognized. He's the hall monitor that gets pantsed and doesn't get to enforce his hall monitor power. The reason the comparison is apt is because Cisco treats it and Nog to anti-bullying advice that we're used to hearing today. You know, you just need to stand up for yourself. Right. You can't just get like shoved into your locker. You got to shove back. <laughs> They'll never respect you. We get an object lesson in this disrespect when uh, General Martok walks in and hands Cisco an iPhone and uh, tells Jake and Nog just to clear right out. And uh, and and it's it's clearly like an adults are talking now, boys. Get out of here. Yeah. I wonder if Martok would like to get down on this calamari and tube grub situation. I feel like he'd be into it. He might he might resent the fact that it's cooked. Yeah. Yeah, you know he's down with tentacles. Yeah. But only if they're moving. Is that what's nice about running a Klingon restaurant is that there's not that much work involved? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, the food safety standards have got to be so different. Yeah. It's just keeping keeping it all alive is basically the the main thing. I love how Martok hands Captain Cisco the iPhone here and Captain Cisco's like, what am I looking at? I need to, like, I need this decoded. And Martok's like, oh, yeah, sorry. And then he puts his thumb on it and then it, it unscrambles the message. This message is from the Maquis. Maquis? Because while on patrol, he, he intercepted it. Yep. It's a woman addressing someone named Michael saying the missiles are launched. They're heading toward Cardassia. And this is our final attack. The release of nuclear weapons has been authorized. This is not a drill. 13 days is how long it will take these missiles to strike Cardassia. And uh, Martok, upon hearing this, is like, yeah, that's pretty awkward because uh, there was a time where I remember selling uh, cloaking technology to the Maquis. So 
pretty sure those missiles are going to be cloaked. You see the problem. What an interesting idea, like delivering arms to a force that doesn't really hold the same values as you just because it's politically expedient at the time and that that, that coming back to bite you in the ass a little while later. Except there's no, like, Martok drops this bomb in the room and Cisco's like, cool, cool, well, we got to solve this problem. He <laughs> never, he should be pissed at Martok, right? It does seem like a bit of a pass because, yeah, the yeah. the issue is that the, the it's missiles and cloaking devices and the speculation is that these two <laughs> devices could have been married and the Maquis had access to all of these WMDs that could mean if a cloaked missile hits Cardassia, we're talking about millions of dead in the initial attack, and then the Dominion striking back at the Klingons and the Federation, the Federation being the uh, proxies for the Maquis and the Klingons having sold them the arms, uh, they could be punished by the Dominion to the tune of billions of lives. We're talking about a... a a war on a scale of billions of lives here. I mean, no one could have guessed that uh, that separately, yellow cake uranium and uh, and tubes could be combined to form cloaked missiles here. <laughs> the idea of a cloaked missile is extremely interesting, and the first time that we're hearing of such a combination. It's a hell of a combination. To the degree that I sort of felt like this was a this will change everything kind of technology that not to skip to the end too much like is not realized yeah I forget exactly what the storyline is of it but there's a there's an episode of Voyager where there's like a like a crazy super weapon that they have to find and disarm that that uh, really remind this really reminded me of I mean if cloaked missiles have been around from the start you could change the storyline of every starfleet battle in history yeah i wonder if it's kind of uh, i mean there's a bunch of discussion of the cloaking device on the little d in this episode and the fact that it isn't that effective because it's so overpowered and a missile is basically an engine with a small payload on it so maybe 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 it has the same issue that the cloaking device is like, it makes it harder to find, but not impossible. You know, I was thinking a long time during this episode about why they kept ringing that bell about the little D's engines being unable to be covered up by its cloak. And that's got to be it, right? Right. Because the little D doesn't really factor in that much in this episode. Not at all. It's a runabout episode. That's pretty great that we can draw a line between those two things. I think that's good writing. Golden cotton. The cut. Golden cotton. So. So they have a little McLaughlin group. Issue one. In ops with uh, Worf O'Brien and Dax uh, talking to Cisco about how tricky it is to, to find this. It's like a Ligurian mastodon moving through the forest. You may not be able to see it, but it definitely makes the leaves rustle. I need answers, people. The idea is that they need to find where they were launched from to disarm them remotely, basically, because the, t- the clock is ticking. They've got 11 days left. So apparently, Cisco got this news and took the weekend off. <laughs> 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 I 
Look, I signed up for this Ferengi cooking class, and I mean, it's really hard to get into. Yeah. And, uh, you know, frankly, some of the ingredients were not that fresh, so I've, I've been on the shitter for two days. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, this timeline, you gotta hold this timeline together, right? Yeah. I think I know someone who can help. I loved this uh, this space station that they cut to. Oh, yeah. the Eddington has been locked up on space prison regular one, right? Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's been, it's been a long time. I like the way they backlight it. Looks yeah. dope. Yeah. I wonder why the shows don't pull more footage from the movies this way. I think you've got to be judicious or you'll get caught, you know? I mean, the one thing you and I have said before about about like the main thing about star trek is how efficient it is yeah it's very cost efficient television (laughs) the the cell that eddington is in is uh is very reminiscent of the ones on uh on the starship enterprise and the case is made that eddington is just as dangerous behind force fields as he is out in the world but uh yeah he uh he takes a look at this ipad and uh, watches the video uh, just for a second. He doesn't admit to being the Michael that this woman is addressing right off the bat. No, because Eddington has the vibe of a guy who who is super happy to be where he is. He's going to run out the clock on his life, and that's going to be it. Right, and and he believes that that means like, like whenever the Dominion decides to attack, like they'll just kill him when they get here. I got some real Rambo 2 vibes from this moment because like John Rambo at the beginning of that film, he's in prison also. Yeah. And and that makes Cisco the Troutman in this moment. And it's like, hey, how'd you like to get out of here? I could maybe even get you a pardon if you help us track down these missiles. Would you rather be locked up in a room or in a labor camp breaking rocks with a sledgehammer if you were locked up? I think I'd rather be breaking rocks. It seems more tempting, right? Like you're outside. Want to get some fresh air. You're getting some exercise. You're getting pretty ripped. Yeah. Which I think is good. Rambo's stacked at the beginning of that movie. Yeah. Yeah. But Eddington does not find uh, any appeal in a full pardon. He turns it down. Yeah. He turns and, it all down. And this is interesting because Cisco's saying like, you know, if if this happens, like a a billion humans are going to die too. Like, don't you want to save people's lives? And uh, he is really like, like devil may care, fuck you. I don't give a shit. I used up all my tears and the Dominion slaughtered the Marquis. Marquis? If it hasn't been said before, it is a total like mutually assured destruction scenario that they're facing because if these missiles hit Cardassia, the retaliatory attack by Cardassia would be such that it would wipe out the whole federation. Yeah. This is one of two long conversations between these two guys in this episode where they hit the ball back and forth a lot. And, you know, eventually Eddington starts to let on that he knows quite a bit about the missiles and, you know, the abort codes and stuff, but, but that he's not going to do anything about it. Uh, Like, like he goes from I don't know what this is or who this woman is to yeah I know about the missiles but you're never going to find the launch site there's nothing you can do and eventually starts like kind of psychoanalyzing Cisco and making the case that 
Cisco's tripping on the fact that he can kind of decide the fate of the entire quadrant if he if he does this. I mean, and this is a trope that we see quite a lot in television and film. The the guy in the jail cell having all of the power. Yeah, infuriatingly so. That's not very damn funny. Back on Deep Space Nine, Quark is in the infirmary with a head wound that he sustained from a nude morn. <laughs> He's got to watch where he's swinging that hammer. I don't really understand when or where Morn got nude, but he he also ran into the Bajoran temple nude, and uh, Kira got an eyeful of that hammer. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think Kira's worshiping another god now. <laughs> yeah, thou shalt worship false idols. Yeah, o- Odo is kind of drilling Quark like this is all his fault. Like uh, he provoked Morn into into doing this, and so Quark is like recounting the conversation. I'm the victim here. He's saying like, oh yeah, I was explaining how like when this station becomes like the front line of the war between the Federation and the Dominion, we're all gonna die, and uh, that doesn't seem like that doesn't seem like something you can get in trouble for, right? No, not at all. I like, mean, I get- Quark is right in this that he he was engaging in some speculation and that's fine it's not like yelling fire in a movie theater he's just telling a, a bar buddy what's possibly going to happen in the yeah. coming weeks and months but it does give a sense of like how on edge everybody is interesting that Morn's instinct was to strip <laughs> he doesn't want to die clothed he doesn't want to die without his main weapon easily at hand yeah he died the way that he lived, with a great big crank. <laughs> Did he is... die? <laughs> no, I'm like projecting into the future. Like if, if Deep Space Nine were attacked and destroyed, like yeah. how do you eulogize Morn? A naked, dead Morn. I guess that's right. Ben, this scene is an example of turning a one-minute conversation into a five-minute conversation. It felt very stretchy to me. You know, like if mm. this is a fairly breathless episode with a lot of action set pieces and stuff, but if there's any fat in it, it's definitely here, I think. It's a it's a weird, like, it's a sea story that is one scene long. Yeah, and it's it's a lot of like, Morn did what? Morn did what? But he also <laughs> did this. He yeah. did that? I don't have the faintest idea. Yeah, I mean, but how else are Quark and Odo going to be in the episode? Yeah, that's yeah, true. <laughs> I think it, I think it's honestly like an ensemble cast problem. Like they keep doing these episodes that are like one person off on an adventure and they're coming up with increasingly implausible ways to write the other characters into the show. It's a it's a paycheck wagging the story dog. I think it is. Yeah. They're going to get paid anyway. Got to use them. Uh, the scene ends with Kira being called up to ops by Dax. Because there's an incoming FaceTime from Cisco. Cisco's saying he's going into the Badlands. He doesn't need the little D because what he's got is Eddington. Yeah. And then he sort of like does that dramatic reveal over his shoulder. <laughs> he's in a runabout with Eddington and they're going on a road trip. Yep. They're and going to Burbank. They, <laughs> they're going to Burbank. They're going to drive through all of Beverly Hills and the Hollywood Hills to get there. Yeah, that's 
That's those are the badlands, right? Sawtooth thing through uh, Beverly Hills and the Hollywood Hills. Yeah, I loved that their in-flight meal was served on an in-flight meal-sized plate. Perfect. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> and they're like they're like doing bits on uh, on on replicator food. What's the deal with airplane peanuts? This is the first like scene this. that I, I feel like we've seen that makes the case that the Maquis eat better than Starfleet. Yeah, yeah, Eddington makes the case that the Maquis are like farm to table types, like and really annoying about it too. <laughs> Cisco, you would never know what an ancient grain tastes like. The complexity of flavor is something that you can only imagine. Have you ever eaten an heirloom tomato? Picked it right off the vine, it's still warm from the sun. I did like all this backstory about like, you know, you're eating the same protein, it's just in the shape of different stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it doesn't taste like anything to Eddington. Yeah, like the way that like fondant doesn't taste like anything interesting, even if it's shaped like a, a flower or something on a cake, right? Right. You can you can make your birthday cake look like a hamburger all you want. It's still going to be a shitty sponge cake covered in fondant. Exactly. It made me wonder if the plate was edible. Mm. Like like in a taco salad kind of parlance. It came out of the replicator. Might yeah. as well be. Why wouldn't it all be protein? I don't know. To be quite honest about it, I was in a pale. I'm fucking a pale. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. Oh, I don't use the bucket anymore. Eddington, he really knows Ben Sisko's buttons because he evokes the name of Cal Hudson yeah. uh, in this scene, who he mentions was killed fighting the Cardassians. And the look on Ben Sisko's face is pretty devastated it is a senseless and sad death for a guy that ben cisco still clearly really loves despite the fact of his betrayal they have a another of many great conversations in this scene and what you what the big takeaway here is is that they are more alike than different in their leadership strategy Eddington says that Cisco's deal with him is personal and not professional, and yeah. that he just can't get, get over the fact that Eddington and Cal Hudson chose Team Makewees. And this is the same case that Cisco makes against Eddington, that you're, you're like a leader that's sort of a cult of personality guy. Like, and that's why you love being the leader of the Makewees, is like you, you get these people to follow you. Right. You do this in spite of what it represents, not because of what it represents. And, yeah. And conversely, Eddington saying that Cisco hates the Maquis because they they represent a flaw in his worldview rather than him actually disagreeing with any of their particular arguments. Right. And then uh, and then Cisco does that thing that. Like, here's how you win an argument. You say something to the degree of, all of this is your fault anyway. <laughs> because what Cisco says is, like, the torpedo crisis is on Eddington. Yeah. And and that Eddington ga gassed up the Maquis to think that they could actually win, that they could actually become this, like, sovereign nation when it was always a foregone conclusion that the Cardassians would cream them if they weren't under the protection of the Federation. And the whole reason that the Cardassians partnered with the Dominion is because of the Maquis. You get nothing! You lose! 
Good day, sir. This is a heavy trip, right? Because like the the war that they're talking about is, I mean, like like the Dominion War is the thing that people talk about with Deep Space Nine. We know it's coming, and yeah, this this kind of makes the case that it was an avoidable uh, an avoidable conflict. Yeah, you can tell that Eddington really feels it. Like it stops the argument in its tracks, and he just has to turn away. It's a great scene. It's it's a long scene. It's it's not one of those scenes where two characters come in needing two different things and resolve conflict. Like the conflicts change and and morph. And when you think Eddington is out of the conflict periodically, like Cisco will rise to to change what the conflict is. Yeah. It, it's real fun. It's 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 um it's very similar to the scene where when Eddington is in jail in that way and uh I really liked both of these scenes a lot. I think Kenneth Marshall as Eddington is great in this episode. I think he's always been he, I think he's always been really good, but it's got to be so hard to go toe to toe with Avery Brooks. Yeah. As an actor because there's just <laughs> I I feel like you want to rise to the occasion of acting with Avery Brooks, and this is very much a stage play setup. You're inside a runabout, you're arguing your side, and I don't know how you do that when you're faced with him, with, yeah. when you're faced with Avery Brooks, you know? Right. He's so he's like made for this in a he, way that as good as Kenneth Marshall is, I think you're really trying to be better than you're usually asked to be, and I think he is in this ep. Yeah, and I think that uh, Avery Brooks has that reputation as being a, a very generous scene partner. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's great, great scene. So shines a good deed in a weary world. In the B storyline, Nog and Jake are hanging out in Corks. Uh, this may be the first time that we've been in Corks since Cork got all the all the stickers removed from his door. Oh, yeah, he's no longer condemned, but the Klingons are really making a lot of noise and now I uh, can they're over at the golden headbutt machine <laughs> yeah Nog can reckon the amount of decibels they're generating just by sitting there listening to them yeah that's and, pretty uh, wild power yeah and uh he's just waiting for them to go over the legal limit so that he can go arrest all of them. They won't respect me until I stand up to them. And and the second they do, he falls backward in his chair and is stricken with embarrassment. He's very embarrassed, Adam. I think if you fall backwards in your chair at a bar, you've got to get right up, right? I think it's yeah. a race against time at that point, but he chooses to remain on the ground. I went to a dinner party once where a guy's chair collapsed under him. Oof. That was a tough moment, you know? He felt- Was that a wooden chair? It was a wooden chair, and it was, you know, like, it wasn't because he was too heavy. It was because the chair gave way. It was like, it was like a bad chair, but, uh, but he That's felt- That's the thing, though. No one thinks that. Yeah, he felt Everyone's going to think that you're too heavy yeah. when the chair breaks. Yeah. I mean, uh, you treat it as a wake-up call or whatever, and uh, <laughs> hit the gym. You know, whether or not it was your fault, maybe, maybe it can have a positive outcome, but it doesn't feel good in the moment. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing we know about Nog from previous episodes is that he's he's working out with shake weights. He's mm-hmm. getting pretty jacked. He's maybe living that, uh, yeah. that Jim Shimoda lifestyle. Why maybe he... he has put on muscle weight to the extent that the, the chairs and Quark's bar can't hold him. I've been working out. I'm huge. He doesn't even know his own center of balance. But but shouldn't he be able to do that like wide receiver thing 
where he he like gets up without putting his hands on the ground. Oh yeah. He like kicks his feet out and stands up. One would think. That would be cool. That would have been fun to see. Yeah. Yeah, if you work security, you must be trained in in combat, right? Like when you learn martial arts, you practice falling a lot. And clearly, uh that's not how he's been trained based yeah. on on what we see here. On the runabout, they arrive in the Badlands and pretty quickly are uh, set upon by a couple of Jem'Hadar warships. And uh, Sisko starts running something from the Ben Sisko leadership playbook, which is that he has unshackled Eddington and is like fucking around, getting himself a cup of coffee and not taking a particular interest in their impending destruction at the hands of a couple of ticks. Forcing Eddington to take the helm and use some fancy Maquis flying tricks to uh, to evade these two warships. Cisco's managerial book isn't like isn't who moved my cheese. It's like uh, I'm going to go over here and get some Ractagino while a couple of ticks descend on us. <laughs> yeah, uh, he seems pretty chill. It works, right? Like Eddington starts the scene firm in the position that he's not going to take the helm and uh, and then he's like doing donuts around plasma filaments and and uh, getting them out of there you can be an inspirational leader by stoking a person's self-preservation instinct yeah that's what he's doing but he's he, he doesn't stop being a bad guy and one of the ways he doesn't stop is that he insists that the way that they are going to get away from these ships is if Cisco rewires something with the impulse engines, that is very, very dangerous to do if you're still using the impulse engines. Eddington's like, have you ever heard of a culvert starburst? <laughs> Cisco's like, that maneuver's been outlawed decades ago. Presumptuous child playing on my ship. Alamorin, come to Alamorin, come to come to what are you doing? What are you doing now? I would never have guessed that there was a Jeffrey's tube on a runabout. It is super long, too. Yeah. It seems implausibly long. Yeah, but also, I mean, we know that they're like bigger, like there's a whole back section and there may be a middle section even, right? Because they're- yeah, He's that that Jeffrey's tube is longer than a banquet table, though. By a lot. Yeah. No, it's a big long Jeffrey's tube. What else can you access in there? I don't know. It seems like a single use Jeffrey's tube, and that's like a kitchen appliance. Yeah. You don't want one of those in your runabout. Yeah. Alton Brown would disapprove of, <laughs> of a Jeffrey's tube with only one use. Yeah. Yeah. So Cisco's back there, like Dick disconnecting glow necklaces and then plugging them into another thing in there. And he's getting bangers just rained down on him. Yeah. And some of these are Eddington like hitting potholes and some of them are the ticks uh, firing upon them. But eventually- I don't feel like Avery Brooks gets enough credit as a physical actor in a moment like this because he is full on like bouncing around inside the tube. Yeah. It's good. Good job by him. Yeah. Um. There's a fun moment after they've set the Praxis explosion off where Eddington is not receiving telemetry from Captain Sisko anymore. 
and assumes that uh, assumes that he's home free. Basically, that Cisco yeah. died down there in that tube, and uh, and and Cisco grabs him from behind and roughs him up a little bit. I told you to keep the ship steady. You're alive. What a pleasant surprise. Cisco's covered in Klingon coffee from this point forward. Yeah, it probably smells nice, right? Yeah, I guess I guess once it's brewed, coffee can smell a little funky. Yeah, it's the grounds that smell nice. Yeah, back on Deep Space Nine, we we check back in on our B slash C story, where Jake and Nog are talking about roommate etiquette. W slash R slash T dates coming over. Jake uh, has had a lady friend over, and Nog I guess walked in on them. But Nog yeah. doesn't think that's that it's a big deal because uh, they were just talking. Just talking is what Jake wants him to think because that's what you do. You hear you hear the door the doorknob turn. You you separate. You go to separate sides of the couch. Yeah. You look like you're talking, but you're not talking. Yeah, you're not really. You talking. got your dick under the blanket. Right. That's what's happening. They're getting close to achieving some resolution in this conversation when Nog clocks Martok and a couple of. Klingons up on the second level in their spot in the in the Jake and Nog bayboggling spot. He's like, "This is the moment, man. I'm finally gonna confront them." You know, this aggression will not stand, man. Yeah, that's our spot, and he takes it personally, like they're doing this at him. Now, who's being scurrilous? So Nog goes up and and confronts Martok and the other two guys. One of the Klingons looks not fully Klingon to me. Did you get that vibe? Klingon number three kind of had very soft loafed features. Oh, well, there's a there's a lady Klingon with a boob window that has some fabric behind it, so you don't get any cleavage. And then there's a, yeah. another Klingon also. Yeah, is that the one that yeah that you felt? Huh. Yeah, kind of a strange looking Klingon. Anyway, I think the thing that we learned from this scene, I think, is that comedy can can get you out of mortal danger. Because Nog is about to get his ass kicked, and what he does is he charms Martok into not kicking his ass. Yeah. Nog coming up and flexing on these three is is inherently funny, and they uh, they treat it as such. Like, and then uh, and they clear away, they clear out to their credit. I thought there was a chance that Nog would go over the railing here. That would have been right? fun. But then yeah. he would have done that thing that a wide receiver does, where where he he lands and then he and then he gets back up on his feet without using his hands. Yeah, I wonder if Nog takes a good bump. I bet he does. Do you think Nog would do like a three point landing, like a like a superhero? <laughs> if he got thrown off that railing. I don't get the sense that the cadet uniform is stretchy in a way that would allow that. Mm. Like I think he'd blow out the crotch of that thing, attempting to do it. I mean, I would I would blow out the crotch of it, man. I could do a cool three point landing. What do you think a Ferengi hog looks like? Like uh, it'd be like that Lenny Kravitz clip where his where his dong flopped out of his pants. Are you you're suggesting that Nog just has a massive crank? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I think he's shaved, and I think it's massive. Whoa! All right. Kind of a, a lot of a uh, lot of massive dongs on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, it's a it's a it's an above average work workplace. Kind of making me uncomfortable. To think about. <laughs> well, Cisco and Eddington, having killed two entire ships full of Jem'Hadar, find the planet where these 
where these missiles were launched from. And it is a, a very smoky place. Apparently, uh, apparently the smoke has not cleared since these missiles were uh, or set off. And they're walking around in the Star Trek caves, and uh, and they see that uh, they are not alone here. This place is full of Jem'Hadar. I thought immediately that this was a setup, and I thought it was interesting that it almost immediately was not. Yeah, Eddington is. is always using deception so it's fun to try and predict what that deception will be but i feel like this episode is, does a really good job of always having you picking the wrong cup to find the ball under she creeps and she crawls like a snake in the grass sometimes she's slow and sometimes she's fast eddington hates the cardassians so much that i i couldn't remove the likelihood that that he may be partnering with Jem Hadar in order to double cross them down the road, you know? Yeah, yeah. But pretty soon they're in a firefight with these guys yeah. and yeah. Cisco is like beating him up with a pipe and and at this point it's full buddy cop. Like Eddington and Cisco are saving each other's asses in these in these combat scenes. And they sort Cisco of Cisco is the hard pipe hitting captain going the work on the Jem Hadar here. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and Eddington is the gimp. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is oh. great. They are really uh, Starsky and Hutch here. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, they fight their way through a lot of Jem Hadar and eventually come to the the room that Eddington says is going to be where the launch site is, and they they go through. And it's not it's not it's not launch computers. It's a, a bunch of Maquis. Maquis who have been here being kept prisoner by the Jem'Hadar. And among them is the lady in the uh, in the video on the iPhone that we saw at the beginning. I wondered when you get here. Uh, she's introduced as Rebecca Sullivan, and uh, she is Michael Eddington's wife. My wife. Yuck so much. We cut over to Cisco's face, and he's like, you're married? <laughs> I mean, you're into literature, and you're so clean, and you wear that tight uniform. I... <laughs> I mean, I had some assumptions. <laughs> what? You love show tunes. Where were you when you learned that Eddington had a wife? <laughs> That's what Cisco's experiencing here. More, 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 yeah. And so they they've got to escape. Uh there's still tons of Jem'Hadar, but uh they're uh, they're going to shoot their way out and get their get their way back to the runabout because the missiles never existed. I concur, sir. Message is authentic. Now, the missiles are the people. This was a coded message. The 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 missiles were code for we're on p this planet in the Badlands, come get us. And uh it was enough to get Cisco to come spring Eddington from the pokey and go get these people. That is good news, but I still don't like being lied to. And it's a double cross that's uh, enough to earn you a punch in the face from yeah. Ben Cisco. And then a side-by-side -side battling their way out because uh, they they shoot a lot of Jem'Hadar 
I can't remember exactly where it is, but there's a moment where they come into a room and they like think that it's empty. And then Cisco just like walks into the middle and shoots everything. And a couple of Jem'Hadar are like invisible. It's great. <laughs> get killed. <laughs> that's uh, that's before they unlock the door and find the Maquis inside. Yeah, it's, that's an awesome scene. That was dope. That was a great moment. Like I've yeah. been waiting for something like that to happen in Star Trek. Eddington almost immediately takes one to the chest. Yeah. And he's like, and he does that battlefield thing where he tells Cisco to just leave him behind so he can give covering fire yeah. uh, to their escape. And this is something that Rebecca does not want to allow because on the other end of the ladder, when Cisco tells Rebecca that he's back there, she wants to go. And he's like, uh, nah, it's not going to happen. He's not coming. The title, Blaze of Glory, you think is going to be about these this Maquis missile plot to destroy yeah. millions of Cardassian lives as like one final act. And it's really about this this moment with Eddington. He's going to he's going to bleed out while fighting you know, while holding off the Jem'Hadar to make good the escape of all of these other people. You think the blaze of glory is under that cup, but it's really <laughs> under this one over here. Always a, a different blaze of glory than you think with this one. Right. Which is, I, I just think is great writing, you know, like very true to yeah. character. We do see Eddington's death because he is filled up with uh, with weapons discharges yeah, and, and pretty blown away. And uh, we rack into him and, and we hear his final word. Rebecca. And uh, we cut to the runabout and hear the single brass instrument of treasonous heroism. Yeah. We, we actually like salute the guy. This yeah. is a show that is grieving the death of Eddington here. Pretty wild stuff. And and it and it feels impactful and earned. Like Cisco and Rebecca both get a a close up and it's clear that they're both regretting and dealing with this news in different ways. Yeah. The actor who plays Rebecca is named Gretchen German, and she's not in any other Star Trek episodes, which which I think makes her unique among guest stars. Yeah, on this show, but I she does not get a ton to do, but I really like what she does with it. Yeah, in this episode. Yeah, she uh, she brings a ton to a very brief role. Yeah. Um the 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 twin buttons on the episode a brief scene between Nog and Kira where Kira gets to observe Nog receiving a respectful interaction from Martok and being stunned that that is a thing I don't know if this qualifies as something like a Pyrrhic victory but like the one time that Nog isn't shoved into a locker <laughs> is is taken as a victory for him but like Martok is on his way to steal his girlfriend or something. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't think anything is resolved here. Yeah. I mean, Nog's always going to be Nog, right? Yeah. The second button is in Cisco's quarters, and we start on a single of Dax, and we don't know who she's talking to until halfway through her comments. Yeah. But we realize toward the end of this scene that she's talking to Cisco, and she is positively nostalgic about Eddington and the way he went out. Eddington couldn't have picked a better way to go. She makes the case that his death was romantic somehow. And Cisco grudgingly agrees. She's kind of making the case that they're two sides of the same coin and both big fans of a of of a long shot or a lost cause. 
Yeah. Kind of a game respect game appeal that she's making. I'm not sure if Cisco is is willing to go all the way onto that side of the argument, but yeah. I think I think he notes it. Dax is a fun character for kind of getting to getting to entertain somebody else's ethos because she's lived so long. Like she can she can kind of dip her toe in anybody's ideological waters without you know getting too wet and uh it's fun to see her kind of kind of uh force Cisco to look at it from a, a different angle than he might naturally do speaking of entertaining do you think Cisco brought Dax over to eat leftover calamari and in <laughs> in slug sauce doesn't keep for super long you know I suspect the calamari didn't help. That's a tough bargain. You have company over for leftover dinner. Yeah. I discovered a bag full of leftovers from the restaurant that we ate at yesterday and got sick from uh, in my car when, when I got home. I oh, guess. fuck. That's right. I brought I, I put the wings in there. Yeah. I, I threw it out today. You know what? They probably weren't any more dangerous than they were at the time that they were I, served. I, I don't think it was the wings that did it. I don't know what it is. I... I almost wonder if it's the nachos that did it because there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of fresh veg on the nachos, and that's usually where foodborne illnesses come from. When we stopped for a restroom break, you picked up a couple of fizzy waters. Yeah, and uh, and that was a that was an awesome thing to do. I didn't have mine, but I wonder if you uh, if you soured your stomach on on fizzy water and and lukewarm nachos, like if that mm. was the combination that did it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it Sometimes was my the fizzy fault. Fizzy water doesn't hey, agree with me. Fuck me, right? <laughs> I am really trying to blame this whole situation on you. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. Did you like the episode, Adam? I think whether or not you like this episode has to do with whether or not you like Eddington. I think Dax might as well be talking to you and me at the end when she's describing him. And if yeah. and if you're and if you're the Cisco in the room who's like, yeah, I can get with that then I think you like the app. And if you're like, fuck that guy, no, <laughs> then maybe you don't. But I think I'm on team respect knuckles for Eddington. And I think I think it's a mistake to kill him off. I was reading some show notes about this episode and there was an agreement in the writer's room that was like, you know, we're winding the show down soon. We only have a couple of seasons left. And this is one of those threads that could just go on forever unless we clip it. So let's clip it now. And I think that was a bad idea. I, because there's no one like him in Star yeah. Trek. I think you got to leave that guy out there. Yeah. Like you don't have to bring him back if you don't want to, but why kill him? It's interesting to imagine what would change about him in a world where humans are fighting for their existence at all against the Dominion and the and the Cardassians later on, you know, like like he could start to be making the case that like I was I was in this fight long before the rest of you, or he could, you know, switch sides in some interesting and weird way, like make some deal where they get to have their their independent nation if they if they, you know, let the Cardassians stage attacks from from the right. demilitarized zone like there's so many interesting directions you could take eddington 
especially when the episode takes great pains in telling us that they aren't sure if the Maquis threat is over. Like, if you're going to allow the Maquis to exist as a thread that you don't clip, then why not let Eddington live? It's the same diff, right? Yeah. I mean, at the same time, I do think things in life resolve and this is a show that is you know more interested in like long-term consequences of things than than previous editions of star trek but also like eventually like stuff does go away like stuff stops being a concern right and and maybe just a kind of clear headspace for that stuff like i i think that in a modern show, you wouldn't kill Eddington. And a lot of modern shows I have a problem with because it, like, it gets too hard to remember who's aligned with what and like who's, mm-hmm. you know, like whose team who's on and stuff. And, uh, and I, I kind of think that, I don't know, it works for me to get rid of him. Like, I, I think he was a good, he was a good villain for a long time. And I think he, Maybe it's good to leave us wanting more with a character like this. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Well, do you want to see if we have any Priority One messages in the old inbox? Oh, I think we do. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, why don't you take that first one? The message of a commercial nature. Yay! Which goes like this. As a huge fan of the Ben and Adam Potterverse, I am reaching out to everyone who subs this one but does not listen to The Greatest Discovery to get the fuck on board. Wow. I literally have watched maybe two episodes of Disco, but the pod <laughs> still works. Wow. It's fantastic. Honestly hey. better than my experience with the show. <laughs> Friendly Fire is also good, but I think I'm out of characters. Yeah, so this is a person who likes listening to The Greatest Discovery but does not watch Star Trek Discovery, or it sounds like any of the other CBS Star Trek properties. Wow. The call to action is subscribe to The Greatest Discovery and maybe Friendly Fire. I'm going to I'm going to edit that one a little bit, Ben, and say definitely listen to Friendly Fire as well. It's our hit war movie podcast Yeah, that we do with John Roderick. I think anybody that likes what we do on this show would like both of those other shows. And yeah, I mean, I hear from people that listen to Friendly Fire that don't watch the movies and people that listen to this show that don't watch Star Trek at all and, and still enjoy the program. So give them a whiz. See if you like them. I am blown away that someone used P1 money to advertise our shows on our show. So <laughs> to whoever this is, thanks very much. We have a second priority one message here, also of a commercial nature. Goes like this. Greetings from Sweaty Alpha 5 and a beautiful place called Jim Shimoda. That's Jim with a G-Y-M. We are the Facebook fitness group inspired by a pun on a meme from the greatest podcast about Star Trek. 
Thank the prophets that Adam is so good at naming stuff. Otherwise, we'd be called something like the greatest burpee. And that sounds terrible. Why Jim Shimoda? Because exercise is the safest form of breath play. Our chill hangs also build muscle. And we just turned two. Join us! So check out the Jim Shimoda group on Facebook. If you are interested in a priority one message of your own, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200, both of which are a way to get me very self-conscious about my pronunciation of, uh, of S's. Yeah. For some reason, I'm having oh, yeah. a little bit of a hard time. For some reason, what happened? What happened well, to you? I don't know. I think one side of my face is getting numb. <laughs> anyway, Uh-oh. maximumfun.org/slash/jumbotron. Uh, get a priority. Get a priority one message. Yeah. And help with the ongoing production of this show. And help Adam pay for his treatment for Bell's palsy. Yeah. Gotta get that. Get that. Go press that. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about Microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that Meetup Day is on Thursday, March 21st. 
Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I kind of want to give an honorary Shimoda to Eddington here. It's the last time we're going to see him. Just a lifetime achievement Shimoda? Yeah, I think it's... uh, I mean, it's not what the drunk Shimoda is for necessarily, but uh, we invented this technology. I think we can (laughs) use it for whatever we want. Yeah, are we going to use it for good or evil? That's the question we ask ourselves every week. I think in this case, it depends on how you feel about Eddington. Mm. How about you, Ben? I'm going to give it to the security guards. There are two security guards that work the room that Eddington is imprisoned in. It seems to be like a a single suite jail cell. Like Like you don't get the sense that there's like a big long row of cells with a bunch of different prisoners in them. Mm-hmm. It's like it it really looks like one little room with a cell and like a monitoring station. Two guards for Eddington. And these two guards are there while Cisco makes this pitch about I need your help to stop a billion death war. <laughs> guys these guys could not be less interested in what's going on around them like like the guy at the station is like playing solitaire on his computer. <laughs> He's totally ignoring this fucking breathless interaction between these two guys. And uh, that's got to be part of your job, right? You're listening to these types of conversations all the time. They reminded me of the security guys in Star Trek Three. Like, yeah, they are focused on being security guys, not on seeing what goes on with like some of the most famous people in the Federation. Don't call me tiny. Yeah, they're not star fuckers. No. Every time I caught one of those guys in the background of one of these shots, I laughed because I just I just loved how much they didn't give a shit. Good for them. Keeping it professional. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, this is a professional show that uh, that teases the next episode in the series. Yeah, we always. Why don't we figure out what we're, we're going to watch and how we're going to watch it? Always selling the next episode, and next episode, of course, we'll be covering season five, episode twenty-four, Empaknor. O'Brien, Garrick, Nog, and a salvage team are stranded on a supposedly abandoned Cardassian space station. Ooh, it's not Teraknor; it's Empaknor. I wonder if it's going to look the same. <laughs> oh, you, you you think they might build entirely new sets for this Star Trek thing? No, I, I think uh, 
I think the answer was in the question, huh? <laughs> yeah. It's like that uh, that old Norm MacDonald joke. Uh, Lyle Levitt and Julia Roberts broke up because he's Lyle Levitt and she's Julia Roberts. <laughs> the the punchline is the setup. Yep. Yep. Wow. Anytime we can uh, fit a Norm MacDonald joke in the show, we got to do it. I'm glad we did. Yeah. Uh, who's rolling the dice this time, Ben? That would be you, my friend. All right. Well, I've got those dice. And uh, for the moment, our runabout is pulsing on square 30, where four squares ahead is a measure of a man episode. And uh, two squares after that, it's a Kanar with Damar app. Oh, man. That's the invention of a cocktail episode. Yeah, we've we've never landed on that. Hey, that's a fun one. Folks, of All course, right. can follow the game of buttholes, the will of the prophets at gach.biz slash game. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Here comes the roll. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Ooh, and I have rolled a five. That puts us right in the middle of those two squares I was talking about before. Wow. And means we will be doing a regular old episode. Okay. Looking forward to reg-epping it with you, buddy. Yeah, you and me both. All right. Well, that'll be next week. Uh, in the meantime, go to MaximumFun.org slash donate and contribute to the production of our show if you don't already. If you do already, thank you so much. Yeah, you really keep us going. That's no joke. Got to thank our buddy Adam Ragusia, who makes all the original theme song stuff for the show. And, of course, Dark Materia, upon whose Picard song all of that music is based. For a long time, Adam Ragusia was a teacher, and now he's teaching us how to cook. Yeah. Teaching us how to cook real good on his YouTube show. Yeah. Search Adam Ragusia on YouTube. Got to thank friend of DeSoto, Bill Tilly, for making comic trading cards about every episode we do. You can find him on Twitter at BillTilly1973. And uh, everywhere social media is found. Yep. Uh, use the hashtag GreatestGen to talk about the show. Adam's on Twitter at CutForTime. I'm on there at BenjaminAHR. There's a bunch of Facebook groups. Uh, Wikia about the show. Reddit sub. There's just a ton of great places to hang out with the Friends of DeSoto. A delightful and truly sweet group of people. And uh, we hope you go engage with them and get involved. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, which can't distinguish between two Cardassian space stations, but that doesn't make us a racist. <laughs> <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.